Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast, a very special Football Grad Podcast because we have a new Russian champion. And to discuss this new Russian champion is with me, Tim Bogdachev. Tim, how are you, how are you doing? Hello? Tim? Tim? You there? Oh. Well, Andrew, Andrew it's Flash. Just, just me and Nicole. It's <laughs> hey, just, just me and Nicole. <laughs> he, he must have hung up when he saw that we were going to discuss Senate's championship. Oh, well, well I, I guess it's just the two of us, Andrew. Um, how are you doing, Andrew? Well, yeah, you know, not too bad, to be honest. Um, I, unlike a certain Spartak Moscow fan who has to stomach to eat being champions, I've resigned myself to failure and relegation some time ago um, with two men. So, um not too bad, thanks, buddy. Actually, not too bad. How's uh, how's the Vancouver morning? I suppose blistering sunshine as usual. Oh man, yeah, it was really nice yesterday. I was uh, 22 degrees, eating outside in the deck, I've been barbecuing. Yeah, it's just <laughs> absolutely stunning. Um, Wait, did did you, did you say 22 degrees? Yeah. Is is that all you can manage? Is that is that all you can manage? You know, we've got plus 30 here in Siberia, so uh, already. Oh man. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, but we got we got the beach. <laughs> ah, God damn it! Every time. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Fine, fine. You win. You win. Tropical. <laughs> 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 just like that, we're explicit again. We we do we do that really quickly. Um, you know, get the bandaid off right away. We can't have a football grab podcast that is not explicit. Um, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And to be fair, I think um, our our hosts will have uttered a fair few expletives um, over the course of the last few hours, anyway. So I don't think they'll mind. I don't think any of them have been asleep in the last twenty-four. Hours. No, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I, we're of course alluding to some some game that you must have just absolutely enjoyed, Andrew. Well, I mean, I, I heard a rumor something was going on, and um, you know, I, I switched on the TV to get the replay of the Chelsea v Watford game and unfortunately I got the time wrong and switched on some meaningless tin pot competition uh, some Spanish team I, I don't know I didn't really concentrate to be honest it wasn't that important I don't think um, but uh, yeah apparently some some Barcelona team played some little village side in England I don't know did you see uh, well it was hard to avoid because we had uh, Chris Williams there, and he did some Russian-style reporting, you know, both feet on the desk. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, uh, we have to get the Russian connection somehow. You know, the last time I was at, at a game and there was people standing on the desk celebrating wildly was when uh, Russia knocked out uh, Spain. Um, I think I had some guy like run across the entire press box um, on the t- on the on the table, just absolutely cheering, right? 
Um, apparently there were similar scenes at Anfield. I, I, I'm, I'm very happy that all the journalists managed, managed to stay professional on this one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Um, we wouldn't expect any less of, of Chris. I'm going to have another serving of steak at the Allianz Arena at half time. Williams, you know, he, he focuses on the work only, not the, you know, surrounding events, of course. Yeah, I, I guess it's all part of the, of the profession. Um, you know, thankfully, you do not get arrested for, for celebrating a little bit in the, in the press box. You might get frowned on, you know, but no, no arrests. Um, speaking of arrests, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is still going on, right? Uh, so we were, we were saying before the pod, how, how are we going to treat this? Uh, Kogoran and Mamaev are being currently sentenced, um, at a court in Russia. This has been going on since. October. Um, I had to do the math yesterday in my head. It's been nine months uh, since this has been going on. The prosecutor wants 1.5 years, one and a half years. Andrew, um, you said you were following a chat uh, where they were chatting about this, you know, uh, good old Russian style. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, um, oh God, it's, how many times have we mentioned this case, Manu? I mean, it's, it's getting absolutely, it's getting dizzying following this. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's quite it's quite hard to understand exactly what when this case is going to be over, and by the time they've made their mind up, they'll probably have already served their sentence. But um, I believe the the, the latest I've uh, I'm seeing at the moment, um, we are literally as we record seeing um, the details of the sentencing come out, and there was a suggestion that they would get a year and a half and a year and five months respectively for Kukurin and. Mr. Mamayev, um, which I, as I understand, because they've already served, I think it's seven months in prison already. Um, so that would be taken off the total sentence. So they would only serve another what, nine, 10 months in theory. The, 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 the key question at this point is whether they are sentenced to a, a an act that is deemed spontaneous or whether it was premeditated, which I believe would carry a much longer sentence. But um, as, as, as we're hearing right now, I believe they are claiming or the verdict is that they acted spontaneously, not premeditated. So it shouldn't be as long as we expect, but we'll get confirmation live on the podcast. You know, as much as I condone their actions, I simply cannot believe that Koron and Mamaev on that fateful night because they, they were playing a game against each other in St. Petersburg, right? Zenit against Krasnodar, a game that Zenit won 2-1. And then they decided, and I'm literally using the word spontaneously, to get on, to go partying in Moscow. And somewhere along the lines, that went out of hand, right? So I, I cannot... I, I simply don't think that those two, um, you know, have the imagination of coming up with this ahead of time, right? And randomly meeting a government official as well, um, and beating him up. That can't be premeditated. That said, I, I don't condone the actions at all. I think that, you know, if this would have, this would have been any other normal person, we would be long in jail. That's at least my 50 cents on this, um, and one and a half years, yeah. you know, for going on a rampage. Hmm. You know, I, I don't know. We would get away with like a slap on the hands. Um, if we were just a normal person, that's just, 
that's just how I feel about it. You know, there's a lot of free cocoron in Mama I have and all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I see it kind of two ways. I see it, um, two footballing footballers that basically act like brats, right? Um, and then try to get wriggle their way out of it and would have probably gotten away with it if they hadn't hit some government official. And then I also yeah, see the exactly. Russian state machinery here at play doing Russian state machinery things. Like how often in the last seven to nine months since this case has been going on, have we heard the terms from officials like, Oh, I hope footballers have learned their lessons from this. Andrew, right? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think, Manny, you make a good point. There, there are two sides to it and you can, you can believe in both of them without contradicting yourself. I think the, the punishment has to be the, well, the sentencing first has to be accurate. Um, actually, yes, I've just, I literally just announced the court has ruled that they did not conspire. So like you suggested, they, they don't, why, why on earth would a footballer conspire to play a game in St. Petersburg, go all the way to Moscow and by chance beat up um, somebody who happened to make a comment about a chair? I mean, it's just, it doesn't, that doesn't add up. So I'm not surprised that um, has come about. But, I mean, whilst I actually, I, I acknowledge what you're, the point you're making about had it been just an average member of the public, would we be seeing a sentence of this length? I'm sure we wouldn't. But, and it's going to sound incredibly unfair. I actually also don't think it's a bad thing that they are making an example out of them. I know there will be lawyers who would say, well, look, they ought to be treated uh, as a legal entity, a citizen of this country. Um, and you can't argue against that from a legal point of view. Um, and that's, But that's not the point of view I'm arguing from. I think, unfortunately... Uh, they, whether they want to be normal people or not, you can't avoid the fact that they are not normal people. They are in the public eye, and whether you are comfortable with that or not, it is part of the deal, unfortunately, that you make when you become a multi-millionaire um, sports star. You cannot just simply... I mean, no member of the public should be going around beating people up. That's stating the obvious. It's, it, it is illegal. That's why we have these... Um, we have a court case that can can punish people for it, but you can't. I don't think it's right to ignore their profile and just simply say, "Oh, it's harsh to punish them more." I think if it highlights what is wrong, um, I know it sounds obvious, but I, it's a it's a purpose that has been served. So, quite honestly, I think they are so unbelievably stupid. And like we've mentioned before, man, of course there was there is not exactly precedent for the aggression, but the show of extravagance or lack of care over celebrations, nights out, drinking. Um, after Euro 2016, we saw uh, in that uh, nightclub in Monaco where, what's it, quarter of a million dollars was spent on champagne. And it was those You'd two that did it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, you know, and that's the thing, isn't it? It was those two. You'd have thought then they would have learned the lesson. There, you get away with it. You're exposed, you get criticism, but nothing really is going to happen because they haven't done anything illegal then. Yeah. Um, but they clearly haven't learned the lesson. They've gone and done not exactly the same thing, but something similar. They've gone out drinking, celebrating, which is fine. It's, you know, it's legal. But if you do that, you are responsible or you should be. So 
I, I don't disagree with the punishment, to be honest, if it is, even if it is longer than what a normal person would have got. Yeah. You know, we're going to keep an eye on, on this, uh, the situation as we go through the pod and probably revisit it at the end. If we get a verdict by then, if not, well, we'll have to discuss it next week. Um, you know, when Tim is back on, hopefully he's not going to drop out his call on us. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, of all those who want to, um, follow this story, there's, there's a couple of good, good ways to do it. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to show up on one of those out of context, uh, Twitter accounts, which I, Andrew, I, I absolutely love. There's, I think it started in England with the, you know, out of context, Manchester United, out of context, the uh, Manchester City and all that. Yeah. There's now an account yeah. called Out of Context uh, Russian Football, which is just absolutely brilliant. Um, probably the best Out of Context um, Twitter account there is on the planet, simply because you know everything Russia Out of Context is just the best thing on the planet. <laughs> um, this is no different than football. It kind of reminds me, you know, when it was really in to have these uh, these YouTube videos with dash cams, you know. Um, yeah, football, Russian football just tops it. And the, the one of them that, that just <laughs> made me absolutely laugh. You know what? In the good old days when you got a head wound and, you know, you just like uh, the, the players would battle on. Uh, there's, there's this like, iconic image of Dieter Hoeneß playing for Bayern with a head turban on, you know, because he like sustained a head wound and he would still like keep playing and, um, <laughs> We have a Russian version of this now. Uh, <laughs> last last weekend at Rostov, Shomorodov, the striker, scored a goal sustaining a head wound. But instead of a head turban, are you ready for this, Andrew? He wore a swim <laughs> oh, cap. Bright blue swim <laughs> cap. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just fantastic, isn't it? I mean, it looked like a condom. The... We're already explicit, so we might as well go there. It looked like you had a condom on his head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it, there's so much to unwrap about that little passage of of that game. It was a fantastic header that that the guy scored. Um, by the way, and he, he should have scored the winner. In fact, he was about a minute later. He could have. Could have scored again, but if you think about the logic behind it, um, I mean, condoms serve their purpose because they're designed to fit, and a head condom does the same job. I mean, if you've got if you've got something you want to be contained, um, a swim cap it does the job very well. Um, and actually, although apart from the lack of comfort, but in the short term, if you've got a head wound and you're a physio and you want to wrap it up, you want to avoid you know, a Terry Butcher-esque blood dripping down the shirt of your player, um, swim cap actually does the job pretty well. And it's um, it, uh, helped the guy, well, I would say it helped the guy score, probably got a bit of grip as he, you know, bent his, bent his neck around the ball. Um, maybe we'll see more swim caps in the future. <laughs> this is, of course, from the same club. Uh, Eldor Shomorodov was the, was the scorer. It's the same club, of course, that, kid that had a fan bring a carpet to every home game. You know, good old Rostov. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's you know this is the moments when I'm just sad that we we we're not visual as a podcast because I just want to like hold up that picture right now. So listeners, just imagining me holding up a picture of um, Elder Shomorodov wearing a bright blue um, swim cap. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look a little, <laughs> little like you know. 
was that movie? Oh, it's, it's, what was the, what was the it's, comedy it's, called? Um, oh, there was a there was a there was a TV show back in the in the nineties and eighties. Yeah, it, it will probably come with me. OJ Simpson was in it. Um, Leslie Nielsen. You know what I'm talking about now. Be, 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 before my time, Manu, I think uh, you're showing your age there, unfortunately. <laughs> um, well, I tell you what, if, if OJ Simpson turned up at a Rostov game, he would definitely get onto No Contact Russian Football Twitter account. Um, I'm actually just scrolling through right now. Any, like you say, it's a brilliant little account. It's only just started up, but um, you've got Shimord off of his swim cap. You've got a the fan throwing a rooster at Alexander oh, yes. Grigori. <laughs> That's just a just for a brief bit of context. Um, the word, the translation for listeners who are not fluent in Russian, the, the translation of the word rooster is pituch in Russian, which is a which is quite a serious insult. And uh, Mr. Grigorian was manager of Luchenegi of Vladivostok, uh, very unpopular at the time. Um, and the fan paid 500 rubles to buy a live rooster. He somehow got it into the stadium. And, you know, Russian stadiums do have security checks of some sort. Never mind. He got a live rooster in and he threw it at the manager himself. That video is up there. Um, there's the brilliant carpet that you mentioned, Manu. That's the next picture. Um I mean, bearing in mind, this is a brand new account that's only been open, I think it's only a few days. It's got 150 likes already for the Rostov carpet picture. Um, the picture of Samuel Etu holding a, <laughs> Samuel Etu holding an Amkar Piem shirt. Um, quite, quite why on earth he ever went to Piem, I'll never know. Oh, dear me. Yeah. We need a bit of this in our life, don't we? <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a brilliant account. Do you, I, do you have the handle there, handy, Andrew, so people can follow it. Yeah, yeah, the handle is N C R U S football altogether. N C R U S football. N C no context. Russ Russian football. It's a great little handle. Get following it quickly. Um, already has three hundred and fifty followers. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I, I, you know, I see the carpet and yeah, the rooster. That, that was the one that that cracked me up the most. <laughs> <laughs> the best part about it, it actually flies all the way to the to the, to the field. And as it flies to the field, you can see the fan pumping up both arms and yelling at the at the. <laughs> but I tell you what, though, I tell you what would be brilliant, though, Manny, would be if um. Next season, we'll be seeing uh, Mr. Gregorian, the object of this this uh, this action. He'll be in the Premier League next season, um, just taken over at Tamboff, who are about to either win the league or, or at least get promotion. So perhaps we'll see a repeat video. Brilliant. Uh, I, I, I truly hope so. Um, if Tamboff haven't gone bankrupt until then, you never know, right? Uh this, of course, took place in the FNL, so Football National League. And speaking about the FNL, huh, we are going to have our first female referee in Russia's two top division, Anastasia Pustovoitova, um, is possibly going to be appointed to referee FNL games. And I think that's a great step, um, you know, in, in terms of what's going on in Russian football and, and women in the, in the Russian game. It's not the easiest. We, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about 
the first African woman playing in uh, the Russian league and scoring an absolute stunning goal for uh, Krasnoyarsk of all mm-hmm. teams. Um, now we have this story. She, 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 it looks like she's going to be refereeing games and um, she's also going to be the referee for the Women's Champions League final between Olympic Lyon and Barcelona. So um, this is this is a woman on the app, Andrew. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's um, it's a really positive step because I've, I've said a long time for a long time that when we are dealing with, you know, the classic underlying societal issues in, in Russian football, such as whether it's um, uh, whether it's homophobia, whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, there are there are issues that need to be dealt with. Um, but the only issue, well, I said not the only issue, but the main thing for me to bear in mind is, I think Russia is only just simply a matter of time behind being a more progressive country, and this is one step towards it. Um, I remember in England when. A, a lineswoman, Sian Massey, uh, now Sian Massey Ellis, I believe, at full name is. Um, she was appointed the first uh, lineswoman to officiate in a uh, English Premier League game, and she got a lot, a lot of abuse um, from, well, very narrow-minded people. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure we will see some instances here for. Um, Ms. Pustovoitova, um, but it's a step in the right direction. That's the most important thing. So mm. uh, as, as the fact that she's been appointed to what is becoming a very, very important game, um, you know, the Women's Champions League is there's, is getting huge attendances. We've yeah. seen this season um, in domestic league football in Spain, Atletico Madrid against Barcelona, uh, had 60,000 people. There was a game for Juventus ladies, Juventus women, sorry, which had 35,000 people. Um, I believe the stadium where this will be is only a 15,000 capacity, but you can be certain it will be packed out. It's more and more coverage is happening, and the fact that there's a Russian involved, I think, is is a really good thing. So, uh, good luck to Anastasia. I hope uh, hope she officiates very well, and gains a bit of respect, and in the Fenel, well. It'll be, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's not going to be a smooth transition. There will be comments from the stands. I hope she is strong enough. And more important, I hope she is backed up. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's not going to be smooth, but it's a step in the right direction. And it, a first step has to be taken, right, Manny? Mm. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm really positive about this. Good yeah, luck to her. Me too. I, I, I think there need to be a lot more women in the game. And there needs to be a lot more attention spent on the women's game itself. I mean, we've seen in, um, in especially in Latin America, you know, the, the, um, Liga Mekis, the, um, the Feminino, I think it's called the, they, they have huge attendance numbers for the Mexican teams and the, the women's teams. And yeah. then Colombia has a very successful women's league. Um, then in Germany, of course, the NWSL, actually the company I work for, Andrew, we cover every, NWSL game on top of every MLS game. Um, the editor, um, Alicia Delgado, she's doing a wonderful job ensuring that the women's game is getting just as much attention as the men's game, which is, I think, fair. That's, that's just, that should be the baseline, you know, that you give both yeah. equal attention. Um, that shouldn't even be debatable. Um, so I, I think it's great. And then, of course, in, in Germany, we have Bibiana Steinhaus, who is, in my opinion, one of the top three referees in that league. 
um, simply mm-hmm. because her officiating style is so different than what most men produce, right? Because where most men react aggressively, she just is a very calming influence. And I think she's doing a wonderful job. She's been refereeing some very difficult games and she's nothing seems to face her, right? And that was one of the things that some of her sponsors were worried about that, you know, of course, um, stadium stands are anything but, um, you know, politically correct. Um, they should be, but they're not, right? We both are aware of yeah. what's going on there. And um, a lot of her sponsors and the, the people that helped her get to where she is now um, sort of try to protect her. And I, I think, um, I, I, while I understand that, I think at the same time, the only way to change people's minds is to change the paradigm that they see on the pitch, right? And this is this is yeah. a good way of doing it. So um, I hope Anastasia does really well. Um, I hope uh, she she gets her chance in FNL and maybe one day in the um, the Russian Premier League as well. So um, our fingers crossed, and I hope that people um, on the stands um, will will you know will treat her will treat her respect with respect. Um, speaking of stands, this is our next story, Andrew. Um, yeah, so this is from our friends CSKA fans against racism, um, an account that I hugely respect. Um, and they tweeted this out about fan IDs yesterday. Russian police is searching for CSKA fans who protested against fan ID at Dynamo game. Banner said six billion rubles, that's eighty-two million pounds uh, euros. Amount supposed to be spent for fan ID is yearly pension for three thirty-five thousand seven hundred fourteen people four maternity clinics, seven schools, one oncology hospital, and four kindergartens. Um. Danny Pellegrino here with a very merry, iconic podcast here to tell you about AMC Plus. With best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and one of my personal favorites, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, you can spend the holiday season opening up only the good stuff. Plus, you'll get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. (sighs) I guess the implication here is that fan ID is mostly used to how do we, how we, what term do we use for this? Make money disappear in private people's coffers. Huh. <laughs> Make money disappear is a very good way to put it, I would say. <laughs> um, you know, when, when you have something like this and a, uh, you know, words like that are uttered, my gut reaction of about five, six, seven years ago would have been, hang on, is that being stereotyped? Uh, is it stereotyping uh, Russian officials? But it, it really isn't. I mean, there's no point trying to dance around it. Um, money disappears. Um, the What little money is left is not spent wisely. In Russian football, we've seen that time and again with stadium construction, with training facilities, with players' salaries. I mean, you know, it's... I mean, the the basic concept behind the fan ID, and I'm certain this is what will be piggybacked upon, is that it was very successful for a huge global event like the World Cup because of the nature of people entering the country. There have to be quick 
but efficient effectively replacements for visas which is exactly what the fan ids were they you know to get one you had to provide enough information for the um for the country to be satisfied you could be allowed into the country um and then of course vladimir putin extended the period that the world cup fan ids could serve as visas until the end of 2018 uh which was gratefully received by a lot of people and I think the success of it on a World Cup platform, which is an essential form, it needed to, something like that needed to be done. It was a very well thought out plan. It doesn't transpose over to domestic football. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense. They will sell it as them trying to clean up the game or to tackle, um, you know, racism in the stands, to tackle violence between fans. But I think, I think the the protests, the banners that uh, is being looked at highlights a very, very simple point uh, when there are far more important matters that uh, money should be spent on. Um, why spend it on a on a, a service that whilst in principle will do a good job? And let's let's just say hypothetically, Manu, that it does end up incarcerating serious offenders. I'm not trying to say that Russian football is completely clean, but there isn't widespread issues with violence between fans. There are occasions of racism. It's not it's not non-existent, but it isn't as prevalent as the uh, the well foreign media have made out in the run-up to the World Cup last year. Not to the extent that it necessitates a fan ID system. Um, so 65 million rubles, which in essence, isn't actually very much. It's less than a million pounds, um, but it's a, it's a. That's the sort of money that can be spent elsewhere. Why, why spend it on a, on a system that isn't entirely necessary when other things need it far more? Yeah, also, I mean, you know what surprised me the most, Andrew, the the fact that now that the World Cup is over, that anyone in Russia still cares about racism and hooliganism. So, um, yeah. Oh, well, Manny, yeah, you, you say that. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that very simply. I don't think they do, but they're pretending to. Yeah, I mean, there, I said it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you make the point though. Why? It's a, it's a surprise. I admit. We all said, didn't we, Manny? Though that once the visitors have gone, and the welcome that was handed out to them would revert back to the status quo. Um, in my experience being around having traveled to a few different places since i would say that attitudes have improved i think an effect has been made not as deeply as the organizers would have everybody else believe but um there has been a positive effect and the it hasn't reverted as far back to what it was like before the way fans were treated the way people standing up for in the stands it's it's not been quite as extreme as uh as we predicted it would be. So hmm. uh, it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, true. Uh, speaking of extreme, Andrew, we got a sentencing. We did indeed. We did indeed. Um, that actually, yes, that it just uh, doesn't look too bad. Well, yeah, I mean, just to summarize what uh, what has just come out is the, the sentences that were suggested yesterday in the news and have now been confirmed is that Alexander Kokorin was handed a 16-month sentence and Pavel Mamayev was handed a 15-month sentence. I'm not entirely sure why the one-month difference between them, but anyhow, that's what it is. Uh, they have already uh, served seven months in prison 
but the time already served will be multiplied by um, one and a half. So that will count for 10 and a half months served. Uh, I don't know yet whether that's been confirmed purely because it is time served while the sentence is yet to be passed or whether it's for good behavior or a combination of the two. I don't know. So what it basically means is that they will serve seven and a half months for Kukorin and six and a half months more for Pavel Mamayev. Um, and that would, and when you bear in mind as well, we've got the summer break coming up. The, the title's already been decided. So for Kukorin uh, at Zanit, um, that would mean that the season isn't going to start for at least another two and a half months. So he'll have five months, which basically means he'll be out of action until the winter break of the coming season. Now, that is if his employment is continued as a need, which I've not had confirmation that it's been ended. But for me, the more interesting case is Pavel Mamayev at Krasnodar, who have been far more vocal in distancing themselves from him and and trying to... Well, uh, Mr. Sergei Galitsky, the owner, has made it fairly clear he doesn't wish to employ him anymore, uh, Mr. Mamayev. So um, we'll see. But they are basically now both going to be out until the winter break anyway. So there's at least half a season that they will have to remain in prison. And what will happen afterwards remains to be seen. But that is the sentence we've just seen. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, I think we keep an eye on this and see how their personal situations continue. Um, you already kind of highlighted it, Andrew. Yeah, we have some Russian football to talk about. Um, it hasn't been just swim caps, sentences, and um, right. you know, fan banners. You mean, no, you no. mean there's actual football we've yeah, got yeah, to talk yeah. about? Money? So the, <laughs> let me let me go through the Russian Premier League results um, from last weekend before we talk about the reason why Tim didn't join us. Um, Yenisai Anshi three one, Ruben Kazan beat Orenburg three nil, Ural zero one Spartak. Who? They would have been, <clears throat> yeah. Hmm. Ahmad one, Zenit one, Arsenal Tula two, Lokomotiv Moscow zero. Trillia Sovetov one, Ufa one, CSKA Moscow two, Dynamo Moscow two, Rostov one, Krasnodar one. Um, yeah. So wow. Zenit pick up a point against Ahmad, which is my box too little. And then, uh, Lokomotiv actually managed to lose against Arsenal Tula, which crowns a neat champion. There we go. It is officially champions of Russia. Um, congratulations to neat. Um, yeah, I, I wrote the article for Football Grad, um, basically breaking down the second half of the season. I mean, they've been undefeated since the winter break. Um, Sada Asmun has scored eight goals in 10 games. Rakiski scored two wonderful free kicks. Uh, Wilma Barrios, um, captain their midfield. I think those three pretty much sum up the reason why they won the championship in the end, right, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, I'd um, 100% agree with that. Uh, the, I mean, it's so hard to remember clearly, but bef just before the winter break, Zanit were, they were serious, in serious trouble. They were limping over the line. They lost three of the last four games and, um, I remember Rubin Kazan beating them uh, in St. Petersburg towards in December, and you thought there's no way, no way that they will hold on to a title at this point. Um, those three signings have all been absolutely critical, and I, I honestly would argue they have been the three, certainly of the three best players, the second half of the 
season, no question. Um, a lot of attention was on Sardar Asmuth, and we mentioned him last week on the pod, how his, his heading ability is second to none. Um, his his confidence in front of goal at the moment is, is the most informed striker in Russia, no question. But for me, it's uh, Yaroslav Rakitsky, who's been the key of those three. His spectacular free kicks alone are worth a fair amount, but it just simply bringing some sense of order and leadership to that defensive line, that their defence was an, a complete and utter mess. You've got to remember as well, Manu, they they have used um, Andrei Anyukov, who's 36 years old, That's and right. Yuri Zhinkov, who is 35, I think it is, yeah. for the vast majority of the season. They've effectively been their first-choice fullbacks. Branislav Ivanovic alongside them at 33 is a very experienced player, but again... You've got three defenders there with a total age of over 100. Um, and, I mean, Rakitsky is only a little bit younger, but he's, uh, oh God, he's, um, you would not want to, you would not want to meet him on the, in, the, in the middle of the night in Moscow after you're drunk following a train ride from St. Petersburg, let's put it that way. Um, he's He's been the key for me, but uh, all three of them have been absolutely outstanding and, Nobody can really argue in the end with Zunit being champions. They are the best side in Russia. Um, plenty of entertaining sides around them, but uh, they, you can't really argue with the resources and, the, in the end, the talent that they have. So, yeah, they've, they've earned it. I think I look at Sada Asmoon, of course, and his eight goals in ten games is absolutely brilliant. Um, one thing that I wrote in my end of the kind of season recap on how Zenit have ultimately done it. Um, Artem Suba was, you know, the way he came back early from the World Cup and then helped Zenit get past Dinamo Minsk in that crazy 8-5 2 Akkegaard uh, game. <laughs> you know, the, I think they won the second leg 8-1, right? If I remember eight correctly. One, yeah. yeah, yeah. Speaking of comebacks yeah. now, whew, that's that was definitely one of, of the year that's been mostly forgotten now. But he came back from the World Cup so early. And I remember covering the games at the World Cup and seeing Tsuba absolutely exhausted um, following the yeah. game against Croatia. And he was, ups I mean, he was haggard. He was like just absolutely mm -hmm. done. And uh, then coming back early. And we chatted a lot about this on this podcast, how he was exhausted Um by the winter break, which, which really makes sense. There's a lot of football that he played and he, he's a very, very physical player. Um, he's a player I have personally come to terms with because for a long time I thought that his work rate didn't match, um, his performances very well. Now he didn't score them a lot of goals this year, um, Andrew, but in 25 games, he assisted eight times. You know, including three yep. times in, uh, the 4-2 win over Grilia, uh, Soviet of Samara on match day 26. He has been a wrecking ball for this team, you know, and very emotionally that he didn't play against Ahmad Krosny, but, um, you know, he's, he's become a very, very different player in this season. You know, he's not become this, I stand up from, mm. <clears throat> um, usually, you know, I used to call him the perpetual offside machine. That's, that's gone, <laughs> that's gone from his system. And I think that is something that you can't underestimate. And the fact that Sada Asmoon has scored so many goals 
is probably also due to Artem Super's work rate to a large extent. Yeah, I I would uh, absolutely go along with that. When I, I watched one of their first games together when Zanit came to Kassenberg in back in March, and I the first thing the thing that stood out for me uh, in the game, Asmund scored. Uh, the only goal of the game. The thing that stood out for me was, just like you mentioned, the work rate, but the combination between them. Juba, for a large part, not exclusively, but for a large part of his career, has been the lone striker. He's been the target man where all of the balls into the box have been aimed at him. And his one job has been to get it in the goal, to score, to get on the end of it. Um, playing in a partnership, it's a, when you've played as a lone striker, to then convert into playing as, as a two, as a, a strike partnership up front, it's a totally different mindset. And it's, I, I've got to be honest, I've been very surprised, but pleasantly surprised, how not just revitalized he's been yeah. after the winter break, but how unselfish he's been. And the, the intelligence of some of his touches, he still is sometimes offside, but it doesn't characterize his, his appearance. Um, and, his ability to, I mean, he's not been a complete revelation. He's always been a good striker, but he has converted himself into someone who can play for the team. Um, and Asmund deserves a lot of credit for that, for drawing it out of him, for being a player in a partnership that can help a take the weight off his shoulders in, in a way and allow him to be a slightly less selfish player. Uh, it's, it's been very pleasing to see. And, you know, you've got to remember, Juba is now 30 years old. He's not going to have many more seasons at the very, very top. Um, I wonder how long he will go on. He has had to work very hard in his career. And I don't expect he will play on till his late 30s. I don't think he'll play much more than three seasons, four seasons more. Um, I certainly don't see him dropping down the divisions when he gets older. So I think he deserves it. He's, he's had to work hard. He's had to prove himself. And this season, he gets a title winner's medal, uh, and it's a fully deserved one as well. Yeah, one that he has waited for for a long time. Um, of course, now the title is decided. Yeah. Still got a few things here, and I want to go through these um, fairly quickly, Andrew. Um, Champions League, Lok Moscow and uh, Krasnodar and CSKA Moscow playing for it. Even Spartak still have an outside chance, although, you know, <laughs> hmm, yeah, This is, this is not, a Spart <laughs> this is not a Spartak podcast. So we're, we're, we're going to leave poor Spartak alone, but I, I reckon it's pretty much Loco is going to get that second place. Right. And then I guess Krasnodar and Seska are going to slug it out for that third. Yeah. You'd, you'd have to, you'd have to say so. Um, just a very, very brief look at the remaining fixtures. The only thing left to consider in that is for me anyway, is that locomotive do have a Russian cup semi-final yeah. to contend with. They've got to go to Rostov and, Uh, drew 2-2 in the first leg, so they do have uh, two away goals, but they've got to, you know, they've got to put a lot into that because, well, I say they have to, it depends whether, maybe they will not take it so seriously. They'll think, well, obviously Champions League is more important than the Europa League that the, uh, the Cup would get them. Um, but they've got, they've got to play Ural away a few days after both of them have played Russian Cup. Ufa will be battling for it, but they are lower down the table, should we say. And Ruben Kazan at home, not difficult fixtures. Um, so I agree with you. I think Lokomotiv will, should, should be able um, to do the business there. Uh, Krasnodar have got to play two away games as well. So 
are they going to gain points on Loco? I don't think they will. Although that said, I mean, uh, so I Arsenal Tula beat them, right? In the, the last round of the Russian Premier League. And Arsenal Tula are now on the verge of a Europa League spot if Spartak don't get their act together, which is... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I tell you what, that is, that is going to be genuinely, genuinely fascinating. Arsenal Tula, they, they really do have a dilemma on their hands. Um, how do they want to try and get into the Europa League? Do they, do they go all out for the cup? Um, they're only one, one point behind Spartak and yeah. Spartak, uh, well, they're Spartak. I mean, you know, there's, there's no guarantee of them being consistent. So I, I'd be very curious to see how, um, how Arsenal Tula approach the next few games. But, um, if, if I was going to sit my neck out, I would say Champions League places, I think will stay as they are. Locomotive, um, to the group stages, Krasadar, the playoffs. And I, I think Arsenal Tula might, might well pip Spartak. That's the only change I see happening. Ooh. Yeah. Sorry, Tim. Sorry. I mean, I would love, I would love dearly to see um, Spartak. Why? No, I would love dearly to see Tim happy. Yeah. Um, Spartak, after they rudely, rudely gained to beat Oral last week, not happy about that, but um, I'll have to live with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you will have to live with that. But, you know, when, you, when I look further down the table, Oral are now five points clear of the um, relegation playoff zone. So, you know, when you, when you look at the relegation sides, uh, we can, we can probably pretty safely say that Anji Mahachkala have finally uncheated and Yenisai, Krasnoyarsk are definitely going down. Uh, Ufa, a little bit on the ascendancy lately. Um, you know, this is a club yeah. that I really respect. And I think that they're yeah. probably going to get themselves rescues, um, playing in the, uh, promotion relegation playoffs. Um, and then Kirillia Soveto Samara, an old historical site. And then Dynamo Moscow. I guess those three are going to more or less determine who's going to end up on a relegation playoff zone, right, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. And I would, I would point out at this, at this juncture of those three, um, I would be most concerned about Kirillia. They've been in fairly desperate form, to be honest. Yeah. The winter break, they went and made all those, all those experienced transfers, bringing in Alexander Semedov, Janowin and Nidze, Roman Shishkin. Uh, they bolt up their squad, practically expecting to buy the way to safety. But And they won, I think, was it two or three out of the first three or four games and everybody thought, okay, they're, they're on the up, they'll be safe. Um, they, they've only picked at one point in the last four games and they haven't looked good. They've really looked unreliable. Just as a mark of how poor their form is, Oral kept a clean sheet away in Samara and they hadn't kept a clean sheet in 20 games in the league. Mm. Um, and suddenly they got the second one in Samara. So I would be most worried about Krulia. Ufa are looking, uh, are looking really, really good. And I don't just say that to make myself feel better because they, they absolutely destroyed a, a weak rotated Oralia Kattenberg side a couple of weeks ago, but they they've looked they've looked good for a while. They've got a a good side. Olivier Thiel has been slightly injured recently, but he's coming back to fitness. Um, Igbun's on fire. Uh, I expect Ufa to go ahead of Krulia in the table by the end of the season. Whether they'll have enough to overtake Dynamo Moscow as well, probably unlikely. But even still, both sides should be able to negotiate the uh, relegation playoff, I think. Well, and that, that brings us very much to the next topic that I want to discuss. Who's going to go up, Andrew? I mean, I see Dynamo, <laughs> St. Petersburg, Sochi in first place in the FNL. No? 
Um, pretty safe to say that the uh, fished Olympic Stadium in Sochi will have um, Russian Premier League football next season. Um, the, the point total 67 points. Um, that's seven points ahead of third. Looks pretty much secure. Tampov, um, that's a team that, you know, we haven't really seen much of before this season. Uh, you, of course, know them much better, right? Because of the FNL. They look like they're going up then. In third place is Tom. But we know Tom is not going to get promoted. Right? Because they just, they, they decided they don't wanna. So that means that currently Nishni Novgorod are in the playoffs and <laughs> Ska Habarovsk. Now anyone who thinks, okay, well, they're not going to necessarily win in the playoffs. Yanusai and Ska Habarovsk got previously promoted by playing in the playoffs. So it's not entirely impossible. Um, is, is that basically then, you know, how the promotion race is, is finishing, going to finish up, um, in the FNL? Yeah. I mean, um, Saul Pope's favorite club, Sochi, who I have a, I have a personal deep hatred myself because they have, you know, we've joked about it before, Manu, yeah. about the teams with World Cup stadiums being um, assisted, shall we say. There is actual concrete proof that even the Russian football authorities are recognizing this. The referee of the Chumen game in Sochi, where Chumen held their own, and don't forget Chumen are struggling in the table, a second bottom in the table, and they may well finish bottom of the table by the end of the season because our last home game is against Zenit Dubal, who are bottom at the moment. Um, and uh, a penalty was given five minutes from time, and the referee of that game was actually banned until the end of the season. So even the Russian authorities banned him. Um, and it's not the first time it's happened to Chumen in recent recent seasons either. So um, it's no surprise to see them up there. They they are a reasonably good side, but they are not they're not that special. I'm I'm gonna be honest, they're gonna unless they have massive investments in the playing squad, I expect them to go down next season. But I actually wouldn't be surprised to see that exactly that happen, just because of where they are. Um, Tamboff will struggle. They're, then it's not a football city, it's not a football market, um, but they have two very, very vital reasons why they are a good side. They have Daniel Klonkin, who mm. moved to Krylia Soviet at the beginning of the season but couldn't make it into the side. He is an absolutely fantastic midfielder, box to box midfielder. Um, very, very mobile, very good passer of the ball. And and they have one of the the legends of lower league Russian football, Hassan Mamtov, up front. Both of whom you will be unsurprised to hear, Manu, of course, made their name at FC Tumen. So uh, Tamboff will be fine. But now, in terms of playoffs, Nizhny Novgorod will certainly be there. Um, I, I, would, I would expect if Chertanova were to make uh, make up the points, I expect they would struggle, but they have a very, very good young side. They'd be best served not going up, basically, is my point, because they're not going to invest. They yeah. play their academy products. Um, so there's almost no point in them being in the Premier League, certainly not yet. Um, so well, they don't have a stadium yeah. either, right? They're playing on, they're playing at uh, Lushniki's, um, what is it, like one of those secondary fields, um, you know, where basically where the some of the training happened um, for some of the national teams ahead of the World Cup um, and if they happen to play at Lushniki. So, yeah, 
it's um, not exactly a club that you want to go up. Now um, we have to talk about FNL relegation too, Andrew. Um, you know, Do World, we have to? World Cup stadiums is, is a good topic here because I see Baltica have finally dropped into that relegation zone. Here's a club that last year almost got promoted. Always been up and down a lot. And, um, you know, looks like they could go down or will they? Huh? That's, that's a big question because like, you know, you, you are totally upset about that human possibly going down. Um, it might not be that clear cut though. Remember all the chaos we had last year? <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you added the possibly because I mean, I'm trying not to have any hope. There is, if I'm being brutally honest, I have to accept that there is hope. And it's going to sound weird, but bear with me on this. You, the, the uncertainty of, of Russian football is that there are so many clubs that, <clears throat> pardon me, refuse promotion or go bankrupt. It just simply can't afford to either stay up or be promoted. That you never know. The league table itself is just a rough guide as to who will be promoted and relegated at this level. Um, now, I mean, you mentioned Baltica with their World Cup stadium. I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever that they will not go down to the, the PFL because that would be well, beyond disastrous just for the World Cup stadium alone. But also because I don't expect um, Sakhalin, for example, who are top of their division of the, well, the PFL, the third tier, um, they actually won their division last year as well but refused promotion. Um now, the, this is where it gets so, so complicated. In the third tier, there are five regional divisions um, and split roughly geographically. In the eastern division, there have only been six teams for a long, long time. Um, and and Sakhalina are... One of them is the second team in CPA, uh, Dubl, right? So... Right, you know, and 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 that is well. Novosibirsk is in the third tier terms. The geographical eastern region terms are a long, long way west. Yeah, you've got Sakhalin, the islands well, touching Japan, um, or part of Japan, if you are um, <laughs> of certain <Yeah. laughs> um, strong views from from uh, from Japan itself. Chita. Um, you know, you've got places like this that are, then there aren't any other professional teams around. Now, this is, this is where it gets very complicated. If Sakhalin do decide and have the means to uh, go through with promotion, that only leaves five teams in the Eastern Division. There isn't another professional team that will be able to take their place. Now, uh, I've, I've contacted the club because I'm concerned about this. Um, FC Tumen, that is. Tumen go down. Now, Tumen are one of the easternmost of the the next geographical region, which is, for want of a better phrase, the, the Volga River region, Oral Volga region. Um, so there was talk that Tumen might even be shunted across into the eastern division. Now, I've been assured that this won't happen, that Tumen will 100% be going into the so, Oral So it will happen. Are you telling me? <laughs> uh, which basically means I've got to consider the worst because when you hear good news in Russian football, the lesson is expect the exact opposite to happen. Um, 
it's, 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 uh, it's not doom and gloom, it's, it's Andrew. Man. I've been, I've, I've been to Banal and I've been to Irkutsk. Those are, those are wonderful <laughs> cities. Right? Irkutsk is lovely. No, Irkutsk is actually nice. Banal. Yeah, you, you yeah. <laughs> Cheetah. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, just, no. I can't take it. Sakhalin, there is a very practical reason why I want Sakhalin to go up. Because uh, it's just across the way from where I am. It, it could be Tim's and my team's in the, in the FNL. It's, it's, well, it's, seriously, you guys would be, I'm, I, I haven't checked, but I, closer, I'm almost certain. We're closer you to are closer than, than I am. Then Moscow is to Sakhalin. <laughs> Oh dear me. This, ladies and gentlemen, faithful listeners, loyal fans of the Football Grad podcast, this is the world we live in. Um, it's, I'm already, like, I mean, I'm already, des- already designing like uh, uh, Sakhalin banners and all of it. It's like all in the works. <laughs> it's, um, I actually have, I have a colleague, uh, well, a former colleague who, who now works in Eugenie Sakhalin, the southern island, and he works, well, actually on an oil rig just off the coast. So he's, he's actually even further east than Sakhalin itself. Um, and I've, I've spoken to him about it, and he describes life there where on the mainland, which itself, compared to an oil rig, is a bustling metropolis, is, is still blizzards, snowstorms, right up until, you know, April time. You know, it's in very, very recently, a few days, weeks ago. It's, um, and, you know, and, and Sakhalin themselves, they have played a fair few games this season, I believe in Novosibirsk or even in Krasnoyarsk. I can't remember exactly, but simply because they just aren't able to play at home. Um, and it, it's an impossible situation because if you just simply divide up in kilometres, not in geographical regions or football division regions, but just simply look at the map, over 50% of Russia is pretty much uninhabitable in football terms for the vast majority of a football season. It's just completely impractical at how they even manage a six team. I repeat, this is a third tier, only six teams in the division. How they even manage to run that is, is quite impressive. Um, so what will happen? Ah, God, it's impossible to tell. I, I actually suspect that Sakhalin will once again turn down or be denied, or a combination of the two, promotion to the FNAL, and they will stay where they are. That's what I expect will happen. Yeah. I'm really curious to see who's going to go up and who isn't, um, in terms of, <laughs> you know, because we, we, we don't really, really know um, who of these teams um, are going to decide, you know, to take promotion from the PFL, the second, uh, the third division. Um, there's, there's some yeah. inter- interesting names, of course. Um, <laughs> Torpedo Moscow is one of them that I saw. Um, Nevchemik, um, it's, you know, are looking to come up. Textilchik, um, <laughs> I love those old school Russian names. Um, <laughs> I, I seriously are harboring hopes that, uh, Sakhalin somehow go up, you know, um, yeah, it would be just fun, wouldn't it? It would be pure fun just to see what would happen. Yeah, you know. Exactly. <laughs> and then of course, um, who are now um, once again uh, Kuba and Krasnodar um, are looking uh, looking to be one of two teams 
uh, from the south region, um, the other one being Chaika, um, looking to go up. Um, we would, of course, that would be nice to see Kuban Gras and Arberg, an old historic club, right? And we have a very yeah. good article on this on footballgrad.com. Uh, so, um, that would be nice. But yeah, we seriously don't know because, like, as you said, Sachalin refused promotion. We don't know if some of these other clubs in the end decide not to go up, right? We don't know what yeah. clubs will go bust, yeah. um, at the end of the FNL season. We don't know what's going to happen to Anshi Mahachkala, right? Um, we don't know what's going to happen to happen even to Tom Tops. It's, there's so many unknowns, but yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, we had a great article last May about the promotion relegation confusion. I'm pretty sure there will be a 2.0 at the end of this season, Andrew. <laughs> I think so. It's going to be, um, quite a laborious task to get to the bottom of it. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it certainly is going to be something to, to keep an eye on. Um, just as a little side note, um, just a personal side note, one thing that I've always been curious at, uh, about is away fan travel. Now, the distances, yeah. the geography in Russia are very prohibitive towards that, unless, of course, you are Spartak Moscow, Zenit, or maybe Tsarska Push. Um, and at this level, it becomes a far greater challenge. There's one fan of um, FC Tumen who goes to every single game. And I mean very specifically one fan. He's, I wouldn't quite say a celebrity, but he, he is known. Um, and one thing that I am planning for the upcoming season is to follow FC Tumen home and away to every game, um, purely because I'm, I'm going slightly stir-crazy here. Um, but also because I think it will make a great story and I would He's love to Sachalin, see. Sachalin, Sachalin, Sachalin. <laughs> I know, I know you're hoping that. Your hope, no, what you're hoping that is, Manu, is either they get promoted or does Sachalin stay in the Southern Division? Another team from their division goes out and Chumena moved into that division. I admit there would be an element of, well, interest, shall we say, to have to go all the way to Sachalin. Um, I'm just praying that I don't actually have to go through a bit. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, that's just brilliant stuff. I don't think we can top this, Andrew. So I, I think we're gonna, we leave it here. Um, you know, the Sakhalin fan club, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to be the, the first West Coast based, uh, FC Sakhalin fan club. Yeah. Can't wait. Great. Probably the first, probably the first one ever, to be honest. But you know, anywhere it, it in the is, world. technically speaking, we should be supporting um, Khabarovsk because that's a partner city of Victoria. But hey, anyhow, um, <laughs> which is also, I think, closer to Moscow than uh, yeah. Never mind. Um, we have to bring out maps and like measure again and all that kind of stuff. And we can we can definitely do that next week. Well, Andrew, that's it. We're done. Um, you know, another very, very entertaining podcast, I think. Um, where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Floor is yours. Yeah. Well, I'm on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter at Andrew MIJ Flint. So yeah, give me a follow on there. Um, I'll be going to the last home games of Alia Kattenberg and FC Tumen. So if you want to see, have a look there. Um, I may also. Uh, possibly, possibly be going to Chechnya for the first time ever, but a uh, little unconfirmed. So follow me on, in, on social media if you want to get an insight of what those places look like. Yeah, definitely do, please. Um, yeah, I've been your host, Manu Vef. You can find me 
um, at Manuel Vef. And you can find, of course, this podcast and everything else that we do, um, at Football Grad Live. Um, nothing too special to plug, just this like comeback game that, um, we had one of our writers at who I heard has been dancing on desks during games. So yeah, if you want to go check that out, that's all at Football Grad Live. Well, until next week, das wird dann mir. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.